my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Math & Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. My mom is of German descent and my dad is Mexican. His real dad's name was Gonzalez. He was adopted by a man named Pritchard, which is a, an English name. I, my whole life, have presented as white. I recognize that there's privilege associated with that. I'm not sure I would have made it to this role, given the prejudice and biases around. Realizing the privilege of this position, the opportunity to make a difference, right some of the wrongs and affect bias by what we do on advertising, I came out as a Mexican. It was emotional, but it was important because I created emotional safety for other people to do the same. Hi, I'm Bob Pittman. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. Normally, we have chats in a small studio with just me and a guest. Today, we are doing this episode in Cincinnati at Procter & Gamble in front of a live audience. So, all of you, welcome to Math & Magic and iHeart Podcasting. We usually have a guest with a strength in either math or magic. Sometimes we have someone who is ambidextrous and has both. But today we're exploring leadership driven by insights, curiosity, empathy, and courage. Our guest on this episode is someone who's well-known and much respected as a role model in marketing and corporate management. In addition to exhibiting those characteristics of the strong leaders, he also has a platform that can magnify the impact and make a lasting difference. Mark Pritchard, Chief Brand Officer of Procter & Gamble. Mark is a gifted and innovative marketer whose actions have not only redefined marketing, but his actions and leadership have led to major changes in his company, in the media industry, and in society in general, in diversity, concepts of women's beauty, transparency, and new models of purpose-driven marketing. And this has not only been good for society, it's been good for business. Procter & Gamble has been delivering record-setting financial performance for at least the last year and a half. 
Mark has led a life of humility, fairness, and leadership without the paralysis of fearing mistakes. He plays it right, not safe. Welcome, Mark. Happy to be here, Bob. Thanks for having me. Mark, I want to dig into all the meaty stuff, but first I'd like for us to do you in 60 seconds. You ready? I'm ready. Do you prefer Beatles or Stones? Stones. Cincinnati or Bloomington? Mm, Bloomington. Sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Basketball or gymnastics? Basketball. That's easy. Spring or fall? Uh, fall. Call or text? Ooh, call. Ketchup or mustard? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> it's about to get harder. Smartest person you know? My wife, Betsy. Right answer, by the way. <laughs> Childhood hero? You know who it was? It's Abraham Lincoln. First job? I bust tables at MCL Cafeteria. Favorite song? I Only Have Eyes For You. Song at my wedding, my first dance with my wife. Oh, that's nice. Favorite city? Cincinnati. Last vacation? <laughs> Last vacation. That's scary. This is part of the problem with working too hard. I went to Maine, where my daughter got engaged. Secret talent. I can sing pretty well. Favorite basketball team? The guys I play with every Saturday morning. <laughs> Favorite food? Tacos. What did you want to be when you were growing up? Rock star. And here you are. Yes. <laughs> Let me begin with a question about our location. Does being located here in Cincinnati, in Ohio, middle of the country, keep you and the company better grounded in middle America and the mass market? Is it an advantage? It's an advantage in some ways, it's a disadvantage in other ways, but I think what is more important is the people we hire. The people we hire are grounded in just really strong ethics and values. We have what we call our purpose, values, and principles. We hire people who have high integrity, trust, teamwork, ownership, leadership. My first day on the job, my boss said, we do the right thing at P&G. So it's less about where we're located. It's more about who we hire and who we bring in and who we build. You may know that this is one of the few companies that still most of the people grow from within. Do you feel like people walking the streets here get a different feeling of the heartland than people walking the streets in New York or LA or Silicon Valley and that gives them any marketing advantage? I think it gives them a different context and I think it gives them a different experience. I don't think it necessarily gives them a different marketing advantage. I think what's really important, Bob, is extracting the creativity out of every individual. And that happens if you're in Cincinnati, in New York, in Geneva, in Singapore, in Guangzhou, China, we have brilliant marketing in all the places in which we're located, every city, every country, because we've got great people who really get connected and do great things. I want to talk a little bit about the view of this company, and I want to go back in time, back to when you were GM of the CoverGirl business, and you had an epiphany about the broader impact you could have on culture. It had an immediate effect on the easy, breezy, beautiful ag campaign, very well known at that time. Can you tell us what led to that epiphany and how it changed you? What I was doing at the time is I was a general manager of our CoverGirl business, which is Baltimore. And then my wife, Betsy, and our three daughters, who are all under the age of 10, went to a place called Wind River Ranch up in the Colorado Rockies. It was a spiritual ranch, non-denominational spiritual ranch, because I was born Catholic, my wife's Jewish, my dad was an Alcoholics Anonymous, so he had a higher power, and he was also there with us. When we were there, the spiritual leader at the very end of it came up to me and said, you know, Mark, you really can make a big difference in the world because you're in business. The greatest force for good in the future is going to be business. It's not going to be clergy. It's not going to be government. It's going to be business. If you choose to do so, you can do a lot of good. We had just introduced the Easy Breezy Beautiful Cover Girl campaign, and I literally, it was an epiphany where I thought, oh, wow. The effect that we have on the standard of beauty is profound. We're essentially portraying what we view as the standard of beauty. And unfortunately at the time, the spokespeople we had were too young, too skinny, and too white. And I sat there and I looked at my 10-year-old daughters and I said, you know, I have an obligation to do the right thing. And I knew then that we needed to make a change. We brought in Queen Latifah, we brought in Ellen DeGeneres, Sofia Vergara, Pink, Janelle Monet. We became diverse. We moved to a standard of beauty that came from within as opposed to externally. 
And it was really a, a very profound moment because I realized how much impact advertising can have on people's perceptions. And that was really the start of what I hope we're doing now. At that moment, what was the reaction internally from the consumers and from the ad industry? Well, at first, when I went back and talked to our, the agencies at the time, they're like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. No, 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 no. That's not what women want to see. They don't want to see themselves. They want to see other people who are the, quote, better version of themselves. I said, no, 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 we need to try. We can do something that's better. Thankfully, Alice Erickson, who was the creative director at the time, did a magnificent job, and she's the one who really, along with the other team, brought in Queen Latifah. That really is what transformed that campaign and that brand. What was the reaction internally when you came back with this epiphany? You know, internally, people got it. They got it pretty quickly. They thought, you know, yeah, this is something we can do. And we went for it. It really unlocked a lot of creativity. John Pepper was the first P&G CEO I ever spent time with. That was back in the 90s. And I must say, when I met him, it was not what I had expected. I was sort of expecting, I guess, I don't know what, the cold, ruthless corporate killer. Instead, I found the man who was interested in doing good and interested in positive change in society. It was a strong business as a force to do good philosophy, very much congruent with the story you're telling. Has that always been the case at P&G? Where did that come from? That came from the very beginning of this company. You can go right down these halls and you can see our archives. There's a picture of our founder's store, Procter & Gamble. And the first claim we made was pure goods at an honest weight. <laughs> we sold candles and soap. What distinguished the company was that we had purity in the products where some didn't. And we actually had an honest weight. We said, here's how much is in here. And that's exactly what we delivered. That's the foundation of this company. And it's always been that way. I want to come back to the topic because I think it really does make this company very special. Mm -hmm. But I want to get a little context about you. And I want to go back to the young Mark. You were born in Oakland, California in the dawn of the 60s. You're a Taurus. And if you believe astrology, you seem to fit the profile, patient, steadfast, and radiates calm and fortitude. And I love this one. And often associated with successful business people. Were you that way as a kid? I was pretty calm, low-key, and my brother was not. He was a year younger, and he was all over the place. And he used to joke about how he'd be all over the place, and I'd be sitting there just focused on my <laughs> truck and playing around and doing things. So I've always been that way. I'm actually quite introverted. I need my turtle time, so to speak, where I can go back into my little shell and just kind of hang out and get some energy. Where did you grow up? Well, started in Oakland, actually Vallejo, California, which is near that. Then I went to Denver for 12 years till I was 14. Then went to Arkansas for two years, which was quite a shock. Where in Arkansas? In North Little Rock, Arkansas. It was a very big big change going from really what was at the time you know hippie country right and i had long hair parted down the middle often mistaken for a girl but then um went to uh, arkansas and then we moved to elkhart indiana my dad worked at miles laboratories he had a sales territory in, in arkansas then we moved the home office up in elkhart indiana and then went to bloomington which is where i went indiana university and then ended up here in cincinnati i know you've talked about your own family diversity as well as the world you grew up with. Can you share that? Yeah. My mom is of German descent, and my dad is Mexican. His real dad's name was Gonzalez. He was adopted by a man named Pritchard, which is a, an English name. My parents got married and my whole life have presented as white. I recognize that there's privilege associated with that. I was lucky enough to be named Pritchard. My parents considered naming me Mick because they had a really good friend named Mick. I think often that I could have been Mickey Gonzalez, which I'm not sure I would have made it to this role given the prejudice and biases that are around. So, you know, you recognize privilege. Probably the most profound moment was a few years ago, a couple years ago, where I actually admitted publicly that I was half Mexican, which I had never done in 35 years. Consciously, this company. you hadn't done it or just never gotten around? No, it was conscious. 
because I was kind of a, you know, grew up in the 60s. My dad was kind of an activist. He was very active in the Mexican community. We used to go up to this place called Wattenberg or called Wate, which was a place where there were migrant farm workers that were all Mexican. And he was very much into that kind of thing. So I kind of adopted that activism. So I was very much into Chicano activism when I was in Colorado. I moved to Arkansas. Half the high school was black. So I was very much into civil rights and those kinds of things. When I got to college, that was fine. But then when I got to work, I kind of suppressed my Mexican heritage because I learned about labels. When I would put an application uh, where it would say race, you know, Caucasian, Hispanic, whatever, I said, Dad, what do I put? I said, you put Caucasian because it'll affect how you're viewed. That all was in there in the subconscious. So when I got to work, I suppressed it. And then when I started getting in this position, realizing the privilege of this position and the opportunity to make a difference and right some of the wrongs and affect bias by what we do on advertising, I came out as a Mexican. It was emotional, but it was important because I created emotional safety for other people to do the same. Well, it's a powerful story in the business, and I think the impact you've had on people is well known. Did you feel like an outsider? When you have a a heritage or an identity, being half Mexican and seeing what happened to my dad, there's that little bit of feeling sometime on the outside. Then moving, having to break into a new group where I was the hippie Yankee, literally, they called me the hippie Yankee down in Arkansas, so I felt a little outside then. Then moved to northern Indiana where I was just also an outsider again, different type of culture. Everywhere you go, whenever I start someplace new, there's always that little bit of a feeling. And look, I'm not the only person that feels that way, but what it does is allow me to have some empathy. Does that help you as a marketer too, and as a manager? I think in the way in which trying to just understand other people more effectively. In order to be able to engage and be part of something, you know, you need to understand other people so you can connect with them. You went to Indiana University in Bloomington. Why there? Because it was local? Yeah, because we could afford it. That's a good reason. Yeah, I lived in Elkhart, Indiana, which is right next to South Bend. And I said I wanted to go to Notre Dame. My dad said, no, no way. We can't afford that. You can go to Indiana. When you went to college, what did you expect to get from college? And looking back on it, what did you get from college? I just look back at what I was like when I was 18 years old. And I went to college because my dad said, you need to go to college. And I remember pretty clearly where he said, well, what, what do you want to major in? And I said, journalism. He said, no, no, I don't think so. You're not going to make any money in journalism. I said, oh, okay. What do you think? Business. Okay. He was in marketing at the time. You know, I thought I'd go get a degree. I'd get a job and go from there. And what I got out of it is I learned how to learn. More than anything, I look back on it and learned how to learn. And that has carried me with me every day. I learn something new every single day and I go at my job in that way as well. There is an ongoing debate about whether we push too many kids onto the college track. Where do you come out on that? Do you have a view? Well, I don't know. I, I think it would be great if, if every kid could have some form of college education. That doesn't mean that people can't go into a technical track or a trade craft or anything like that. Those are all wonderful approaches. But if anything, I think we need to make sure that we educate as many people as possible. Absolutely. I think that's one of the things that's got to happen. Education is one of the areas that we spend a lot of time on ensuring that we get people educated, particularly women, blacks, Latinos, and other cultures. That's important. So you joined P&G right after college, and you showed your leadership skills early. As I understand that you had a dozen or so folks working for you when you were a very young man, many of whom were older than you. Hmm? How did managing an older, more experienced workforce help shape your management style? I was 22 years old, four months out of college, working at the Mahoopany plant, which is one of our biggest, if not our biggest plant. And I had a dozen people working for me. I was the plant and accounting manager. And these were experts. These were people who'd been doing this for anywhere from 20 to 40 years. I didn't know what I was doing. They were kind enough to help me be a good manager. Since I didn't know their skill and their craft, 
then I wasn't even going to try. What I was going to do was be there to help them, whatever they needed. That's really the way I focused it, was focused on what do I need to do to help you, and then what can I do to add uniquely. It was the beginning of my mantra, which is to be useful to other people, and that's really what I focused on. Did that stay with you all this time? It stayed with me. In fact, I wake up every day and ask for the strength to be useful to whomever I come in contact with. What is really interesting and quite different than most people we've had on Math & Magic is how P&G has prioritized leadership and management skill over professional skill or knowledge, points you're just making. You move from financial analyst, profit forecaster into strategy and then brand manager, associate advertising manager, marketing director, then GM. You even did a stint outside the U.S. leading the development of P&G's global IT strategy at about the time the internet popped up into the consumer's lives. And you worked in hair care, oral products, skin care, the U.S. cosmetics and fragrance products. So you had multiple disciplines, multiple product categories. The only constant was leadership. Can you give us the philosophy the company has for doing that and how they view the career path of young managers like you were and how it felt to you? Leadership is one of those foundational skills that we really seek at P&G. We also look for initiative. We look for the ability to make things happen. We look for thinking and problem solving. We hire really smart people, but we're also looking for people who can work well with others. Collaboration. It seems like you really do prioritize that. I think in most companies, you're on a career track. You're a creative type. You're an IT person. You're a whatever. It's very hard to say, I'm going to take my IT manager, make them my marketing manager. Yet the sense I get at P&G is that you think smart people can learn or do anything and certainly manage any of these disciplines. Well, I wish it was as good as you describe it. It's still a little siloed, but in fact, we just had our management meetings here where the most senior managers of the company came in here for a week, and one of the things we talked about was moving toward a more skill-based, less siloed development approach because we find that smart people can do great things. If you give them enough of the technical and professional skills, they can do pretty amazing things. There's some plungibility, as you described, but we think we can go even further. So if you find a new manager and say, that person has incredible potential, mm -hmm. do you deliberately push them through different disciplines to try and give them a broader experience, or does that happen by accident? It happens deliberately. I would say it doesn't happen as much as we'd want it to. I think we want to do more. I started in finance, moved into, into marketing. So that was an example. There's many, many people who have started in one place, moved into another, and then moved up through the ranks. Any advice you would give companies that don't do it this way? What would be your argument for the advantage of doing it? Well, the advantage of doing it is that right now, the world requires it. The world's moving way too fast for us to be able to just stay in one particular discipline. We're looking for people who have marketing skills and analytical skills and creative skills and design skills and communication skills. You mentioned that P&G really does grow its leaders internally. And from the outside, you're known for that. I mean, here you are, your entire career at P&G. How does the company think about how that happens? The way we focus on developing leaders is building their skills, building their capabilities, but the application of those to deliver results is the key differentiator. You've got to figure out how to build brands and build businesses, combined with judgment around what potential might be. And then a big part of this, putting people into jobs that are challenging and they stretch, and that's what really then propels them. We'll be right back with more from our live recording of Math & Magic after this quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com customer to claim your credit. 
That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with Mark Pritchard from a live recording of Math & Magic at Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati. I want to get to some meat of marketing now. You lived through the advent of the birth of cable TV networks, the introduction of the web, the birth of social, search, mobile, targeting, retargeting, programmatic buying, and more. Yet your most dramatic bottom line successes, certainly recently, have been after you quite dramatically and vocally overhauled your entire marketing and quite famously said for all of us in radio we love this what is old is new again referring to tv radio and outdoor what exactly did you and your team do we constructively disrupted ourselves we did this as a company about five years ago where we first of all changed our portfolio our portfolio products needed to change we had 16 categories we moved to 10 10 categories where performance drives brand choice, because that's what we're all about. 1837 Star Candles was the best candle in the world. And Ivory Soap, when it came out, was the best soap in the world. And that's what we do is focus on products where performance drives brand choice. And then we changed our strategy to focus on irresistible superiority, literally irresistible. It had to be the best and people had to have it. And then what we did is focus on, in the marketing area, reinventing brand building from mass marketing with lots of waste to mass precision one-to-one -one brand building using data and digital technology. That's how we started to reinvent media. So mass blasting, lots of waste to using the data to get to one-to-one -one precision. That's why we rediscovered the power of audio. Back in 1920, when radio came around, we created 
the ability to connect with people through radio. And it's just wonderful. Well, I remember you and I have had several conversations about now the ability to engage with people in precision to reach people. And then things like podcasts, which has now become this completely new, new medium. As we started getting into new media, we started getting into new creativity. We started getting into reinventing advertising, creating content partnerships and new ways of doing things while still doing the fundamentals. That changed our agency model. We used to have fixed relationships that lasted for decades to the ability to flow in and out so we could get greater levels of creativity. Finally, we went into being a force for good and a force for growth rather than just focusing on one particular vector. It's been a pretty big transformation and it's making a difference. As someone who's in the audio business, it looks like this year P&G will probably wind up as the number one advertiser in radio, or at least close to it. Three years ago, you may not have been in the top 50. What happened there? Part of the reason why I think it came about is because we started having different types of audio or radio opportunities. There were many, Pandora, Spotify, Sirius, iHeart. These all offered new opportunities with new levels of ways to engage consumers. We followed consumers. Where are they spending their time? That was a big aspect of it because that's fundamentally what it's all about. And then we started getting creative. We started rediscovering creativity. What that did then is allow us to be able to try things, measure the performance, and then start reinvesting in it. When you look at advertiser-supported broadcast television, your reach is declining pretty substantially. Does that impact looking for other media like radio to get reach? TV used to be the big reach medium, at least in most of my career it was. Yeah, TV's still a big reach medium, and we still have a pretty heavy investment in TV. The part of it that is the perplexing aspect of it is how reach continues to decline, yet cost continues to go up. It's defying the laws of economics, but many of us continue to go toward that. What that does is that causes you to look at different ways to engage with people. And in many, many cases, in TV in particular, and we actually found this in digital once we demanded to get the data, was that there's too much frequency. The most annoying part about advertising and media is excess frequency, having to hear or see the same ad over and over again. Part of our job is we started getting the data, which is a big difference in that we finally came to grips with the wall gardens are probably gonna stay walled. So we went out and got our own data and so now we have over a billion IDs, so we're able to more easily track where things are going, programmatically serve things so we can cap the frequency so we don't annoy people, find new alternatives like radio, like audio, and then measure the performance. Let's spend a second on the creative. The magic and the math and magic equation, what makes a good ad? Something that is useful and interesting. And in our case, actually conveys the superiority of the product. Great ads have an insight that helps a person connect to that because they know they recognize it. We call out a problem that you have and then we show you how to solve it. Is we have some really funny ads, we have some really informative ads. Some of the most interesting ads we put out, they're like infomercials. We've actually gone back to infomercials. Mr. Clean Magic Eraser. We could not find a way to make this brand grow. We did a Super Bowl ad that was really funny, nothing. What we did is we actually put out an ad that's pretty much like an infomercial which said, here's all the problems that you have in your home in terms of cleaning stuff. And then it talked about how Mr. Clean, Magic Eraser can clean all those different things. And it was the most straightforward, some might even call it boring ad. And the business results went up 10 to 30%. Wow. As soon as we put it on. Why? Because it was useful. It was useful and it told people how this product worked. It's not going to win any awards it can, but that's fine because it's growing the business. Someone told me very early in my career, I got my first gold record and somebody looked at me small timer and says, you know, kid, you can't take it to the A&P. Yes. <laughs> Does an ad have an expiration date? You talked about you don't want people to get tired of your ads. Is a great ad a great ad for a long time? Yeah, I really believe that. The only reason why people are annoyed by ads or why an ad gets old is that they see it over and over again. We actually get tired of ads before consumers do in many cases. I don't know if you've seen some of the SK2 work that we've done recently. Those are a completely different type of ad. Those are like comedy sketches with James Corden and Naomi Watanabe and John Legend, and they're hilarious. 
I don't think those are going to get old for a long time. It's funny, in radio, we play the songs, the personalities on the air hear the songs, and about the time the personalities say, gosh, I'm sick of this song, the consumer's just saying, what's that new song you're playing? Exactly. Great songs don't get old. Great ads don't get old. We've had ads where we've shown them over and over again, some of our Olympic advertising. Do you ever go back and pick up an old campaign or an old ad or elements from it and bring it around again? Periodically, we go back and look for inspiration. Now you're giving me some ideas to go back and do some of that. I want to jump back to where we began. P&G is a huge company, but it has a heart that you might actually expect from a nonprofit. You talked a little bit about where this came from, but I'd like to hit a couple of the things you've done and are doing just to get a little context on it. Love Over Bias, can you give us a minute on that? Yeah, Love Over Bias was our last Olympic ad, which was trying to shine the light on the bias that exists in the world and then imagine what the world could see if they looked at it through mom's eyes and looked at people through mom's eyes. It was just a brilliant ad. It was one of the best we'd ever done. It was also directed by Alma Harrell, who is, you may know, founded Free the Work. Just a brilliant director, gave just such a touch to it that was just phenomenal. That really helped build our business at the same time. Were you able to measure it in any way, the impact it had on changing attitudes? Primarily, the way we measured that one is through just the sentiment that it provided, the reactions that we got. If an ad is really brilliant or a piece of work is really brilliant, it does amplify and get carried. You've been a vocal advocate for pay equality. Mm -hmm. I think if my numbers are right, about 45% of the managers of the company are now women. How 47%. 47, sorry, I was like old numbers. How did the company do that? What was the process to get there? Because I think there's a lesson in that for a lot of other companies that are wrestling with the same issue. A big part of that came from leadership. When I started, there were not many women managers, but the leadership at the time, John Smale, then eventually John Pepper and others, said diversity is important. And that led to, over time, now at the 47%, and we're seeking to get to 50%. Our leadership still today, David Taylor, is absolutely adamant about the power of diversity. And over time, what we also found, Bob, was that diversity is not only the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do when it comes to building business. The most diverse companies, the most diverse teams tend to do better. It's gender, it's race, it's ethnicity, it's sexual and gender identity, it's ability, religion, and age. And we look at things now on an intersectional basis because it's intersectional equality that's important. A big part of that is because that's who we serve. We serve all humanity. So therefore, our company needs to reflect humanity. So we're deliberately focusing on that. We're not where we want to be yet, but we're absolutely deliberate about making a difference there. You're a good role model for all of us. We reach 91% of Americans every month. So we say we need to reflect that in every layer of our company. We're not there and are working to get there. Our industry has a lot more work to do on that front. There's no question about that. One of our goals is to get equality in the creative supply chain, so to speak. So companies, agencies behind the camera. We're making progress. We've got at least 50% women in our brand organization. So that's at least a good start at literally every level. Let's talk about P&G products and the company itself and how it plays a role in fighting extreme poverty, plastic pollution, education for girls. Give us a little context for some of those. We have some what we call citizenship pillars. Ethics and corporate responsibility, foundational. Then we have community impact, things like clean, safe drinking water that we provide to now 15 billion liters of clean water to people who don't have any. Then we have gender equality, diversity and inclusion, and environmental sustainability. We made a choice to build it into our business. So we used to bolt it on as a separate activity. We now have built it in to how we do things. So when we think about gender equality, for example, we use our voice in advertising as a way to have an accurate and realistic portrayal of women, and again, of race, ethnicity, sexual and gender identity, religion, ability, and age, because that accuracy will then portray people as they are and eventually eliminate bias. Because when you reach 5 billion people on the planet every day and you're the world's largest advertiser, Extraordinary you number. have an impact. So that's number one. Then we periodically take stands, like we did with Like a Girl, like we're doing now with End Period Poverty, 
take a stand because we can use our voice to be able to make a difference. We don't spend that much on those things, but we get an outsized impact because people care about that. We're now building in sustainability into our products. The Head & Shoulders Beach plastic bottle. Take the wasted plastic off the beaches, turn it into a plastic bottle. And the Alliance to End Plastic Waste is another effort we're working on. Do you think on things like that that you are reflecting the consumer or actually leading the consumer into places they should be? Frankly, I think we're reflecting what the consumers want and demand. You think they're already there? Yeah. Nine out of 10 consumers feel better about a brand if they support some kind of an environmental or a social cause. More than two-thirds now, uh, particularly of millennials and Gen Z, are choosing brands on the basis of shared beliefs. And increasingly, and I think we will see that exponentially increase, which is why we've made a choice that we're going to build it into how we innovate and how we build brands, as opposed to have it as some kind of a separate effort. I know your job title doesn't say this, but you are clearly a role model for marketers. Does that affect you? I mean, are you conscious of it? I'm honored that somebody would think that. And I come at it, though, through the, I think, a responsibility to be in this position to have the privilege to try to role model. These positions have a certain level of impact that what I try to do is use that for good. That's why I try to think about every day as, what can I do to be useful today, useful to whoever? Frank Blake, a CEO of Home Depot, former CEO, and he's now one of our board members, he gives this idea of the inverted pyramid. The leader's position is at the bottom of the pyramid down here. Leadership is a weight-bearing position, and your job is to support the people in your organization. You could not probably get any more awards or honors than you've gotten. What do you do to keep that from going to your head? How do you not have Darth Vader whispering in your ear trying to bring you over to the dark side of the force? <laughs> you know, as an extreme introvert, I find those things incredibly embarrassing because there's a little bit more attention than I would want. Again, I try to flip it around to say, don't read your own press. Whenever I've received anything, I've tried to think, is there something I can convey that's useful in this discussion? I'll give you a little story that might illustrate this a little bit. I was a general manager of cosmetics. Then I became the president of cosmetics and personal care. Then I was the president of global strategy, working for the CEO, but I had no P&L responsibility. Tell you what, the phone never rang. The emails dried up. For two years, I was in this job. I would go to things and it was like, hey, Mark, how you doing? Yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, what are you doing now? I said, well, I'm in global strategy, working for the CEO. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, do you have P&L responsibility? No, I said, hey, good seeing you. <laughs> then I became CMO of P&G. And suddenly, You're the most popular man anyway. The phone started ringing again. It's the position, it's the chair. Don't ever let the position or the chair get to your head. You can do the right thing, do a good job, and be a good person, and stay humble and stay in yourself, and everything will be fine. That lesson that I had for those two years was very, very valuable, and I convey that lesson frequently. Stay humble. Let me get you to give some advice. How do you think about work-life balance for you and work-life balance for your team and the people who work here? Work-life balance to me is a bit of a myth if you think of balance as being equal, because in some of the positions that we're in, certainly the position that I'm in, there's not a equality in terms of work and life, it's work-life integration. And the two have to go together. So it's really consciously making time for when you wanna do something other than work. I wish I was better at it, because honestly I'm not. I still have a tendency to go too much work. When it comes to the people who work with me, I don't wanna impose my standards on them. I recognize that there are times when I do that, where I will make phone calls at certain times, and I have to really be careful of that sometimes. I have certain people who I'm looking out of the audience right now who are smiling brightly. I'm not looking at the people that I'm 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 trying not to. I think that's really the advice I would give. Just engage with the humans that you work with and understand their life enough and their work and their expectations and have enough of an exchange and build enough trust to where you can have those kinds of conversations. I had one person who once told me, he said, Mark, quit sending emails on the weekends. I said, why? He said, because everybody's scrambling around doing everything. I said, oh my God, okay, tell you what, I might send you an email on the weekend. That is not a requirement for you to respond to me on the weekend. The reason why I'm sending you emails on the weekend is because I'm working 
the entire week in meetings while you guys are sending me emails. So the only time I had to do emails is on the weekends. So that's why I'm doing that. And I didn't realize it until they said, you know, yeah, poor Matt over here was working till all, all hours of the night on a Sunday night. It's like, oh my God, I felt terrible about that. So have a conversation, have the dialogue, it can all work out. Respect other people's boundaries as well. And then as a coworker, communicate your boundaries. Make sure you understand those boundaries. Don't make the assumption too, there's one big really, really important assumption that people make is that we as managers are machines and that we're not human. And I used to think the same way of people that were in my position when I was younger. We're all humans. You'd be surprised. When you put your request out there, you put your expectation out there, you usually respond. What advice would you give yourself to the 21-year-old Mark? My big advice as 21-year-old Mark is think about other people more than you think about yourself. Took you a while to realize that? Yeah, it did. It took me a while. What was your epiphany there? Frankly, once I got married and started having children. That is usually what changes you, as everyone well knows. Also, in this role, I don't have P&L responsibility, so my job is to help other people. Now, looking back on that, I wish I had been more in service of others throughout my entire career. Before we wrap up, I have one more question about you. You did not move from company to company. You built your entire career in this one company. We talked some about the advantages of it. Did you intend to do that? Was that deliberate action? Not really. I got an undergraduate degree at Indiana in finance and business. I thought I would probably work for two years, and then I'd probably go back and get my MBA and then do something else. I just kept learning and getting challenged every single day. 37 and a half years later, I feel like I'm just getting started. We always wrap up one way. We give a shout out to the greats in math and magic of marketing. So if you think about the person who you know or know of that's the greatest math person, who would that be? Well, the greatest math person, there's two of them that come to mind. There's like three of them that come to mind. Sorry about we'll this. We'll take three. Okay. We'll attack. All right. Kirti Singh, who is our chief analytics and insights officer, who is just brilliant. He understands the math and he understands the data and he gets insights that make profound changes in terms of how we think about things. And connected to that, Jasmine Zhu and Yavin He, who are in China, who have completely transformed our business in China. That business used to be, five years ago, 80% television, very little digital, and they have completely flipped that to 80% digital. Almost all of it is done programmatically, all driven through data and analytics, and they've completely changed things. Three-way tie on math. Let's go to magic. Who's the greatest magician? Who's that great creative? That one might be like a five-way tie, I'm sorry. One is Alice Erickson, who was Easy Breezy Beautiful Cover Girl. I would also put in there Queen Latifah and Katie Couric because they have constantly changed themselves. Katie has a podcast on the yeah, iHeart exactly. Podcast Network. Yeah, yes. We love her. She's put in the, the family. In. And I would also put Ariana Huffington in there in terms of people who have... She also has another podcast. Constantly. That's a great one, too. <laughs> wow. So we'll keep plugging. This is not planned, but... Think about the longevity that they've had because they are constantly recreating themselves. There's some real power to that. Alma Harrell is one of those up-and-comers who has really got this gaze that I find to be brilliant. John Legend, James Corden, they're doing some work with us on SK2. John Legend was one of our yeah. podcasts, too, on Spit, right? the wow. guest. Yeah, so we're, <laughs> we love your choices. Yeah. Mark, we really appreciate your unique contributions to marketing. This has been an honor. I appreciate the hospitality out here in Cincinnati and at Procter & Gamble. And to the room of all of you, our first ever live audience for Math & Magic, thank you, too. All right. Thank you. Here are a few things I picked up in my conversation with Mark. One, creating a bold campaign based on values can unlock creativity. When P&G committed to diversity in their easy, breezy, beautiful CoverGirl campaign, New talent brought fresh ideas to the brand. Two, smart people can stretch their skill set and become invaluable assets in today's workplace. At P&G, this approach is part of how they think about every employee's potential. Three, follow the consumer and what influences them. When Mark looked at the reach and power of audio, he saw an opportunity for growth that really paid off. He's had five straight quarters of record growth in his business. Thanks for listening. I'm Bob Pittman.
That's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to Math and Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. The show is hosted by Bob Pittman. Special thanks to Sue Schillinger for booking and wrangling our wonderful talent, which is no small feat. Nikki Etor for pulling research, Bill Plax and Michael Azar for their recording help, our editor Ryan Murdoch, and of course, Gail, Raul, Eric, Angel, Noel, Mango, and everyone who helped bring this show to your ears. Until next time. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia, and you get me, George Campbell. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. (laughs) You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.